Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. As I was thinking about our time together this morning, I was having a hard time leading up to the scripture and all that we're going to talk about today. And I thought about some of the times that I have been in a position where I have been a counselor to a student or an adult, and those are always in- interesting and challenging times. I don't have any training in counseling, so I don't really know what I'm doing, but uh, one of the more challenging moments in counseling is often when I hear this phrase, three simple words, God told me. I recognize that God speaks to us and speaks to us in different ways, but when you're in that counseling position and somebody tells you that God told them, and then they begin to tell you what God told them, and you begin to think, really? I'm not sure that sounds like the God I serve. (laughs) And you don't know what to do. Because when it comes to identifying God in our lives as he speaks to us through his word and through his Holy Spirit, other ways, part of the way is whatever he says, we try to match up with scripture and try to understand, is this consistent with the God I know? Then in addition to looking at scripture, we look at what we know about the character of God, how he operates what he does and what he doesn't do, and does what it appears that God is saying to me, does it line up with the character of God, how he works in the world that I live in? Sometimes I think we get a little confused and think about the God of the Old Testament and some of the stuff that went on in those days and forget that, you know, the, the God of the New Testament came with a new covenant, and that new covenant was in the person of Jesus Christ. And so understanding that new covenant, a big part of that is understanding Jesus. So today, I'm hoping that when you walk away from this place this morning, you'll have a greater sense of the character of God. What's he like? And that'll help you in your day-to-day life, in trying to understand what God wants for you personally. Because you know a little bit more about how he operates and how he wants to be at work in your life. Let's look first at the setting for today's scripture. Our scripture today, the primary verses come from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. But we're going to look at that whole first section, verses 1 through 17. But before we do that, Let me tell you a little bit about where we're coming into when we look at John 21. Jesus has been crucified, and three days later, the tomb's empty, and Jesus appears to his disciples twice. The first time he appears with the ten disciples present, missing only Thomas, and he commissions his disciples to share the gospel. The second time happens when all the disciples are present, And just like the first, they're in this room, the door's locked, and all of a sudden Jesus is there. Thomas had said after 
missing out on the first appearance, that he'd only believe if he could see and touch Jesus, the scars on his hands and on his sides. And so the second appearance appears to be primarily for Thomas's benefit. The third, third visit happens on a night that for some reason Peter suggests that they go fishing. Many of the commentators I read this week had a lot of different reasons why they thought Peter might have gone fishing. Some thought that they were all kind of lost without their master and they went back to their old habits. Others suggested that, you know, they were just, they were committed guys and they didn't want to just sit around and do nothing and so they went fishing. And still others said, you know, they were probably out of food. They probably just needed more provisions so they went fishing in order to get enough food to supply to take care of themselves. Whatever the reason, six of the disciples joined Peter and they headed out to fish. Before we go any farther, let me remind you of the history of the leader of this fishing adventure, Peter. You know this stuff, but let's put it all together. Up to this point, Peter had had a pretty interesting journey through life. Things had not always gone, shall we say, smoothly. Peter had a leader's heart. He was not afraid to challenge Jesus. He could be bold, and sometimes he was pretty rash or brash. We all know about his attempts to be a water walker and the struggle he had to focus and ended up going swimming. But you've got to give him credit for being the first guy to get out of the boat. At one point in the disciples' journey, when some of Christ's followers were stepping away from Jesus, Jesus asked his disciples, Do you also want to leave me? And Peter, always quick with an answer, jumps in and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. John 6, 68 and 69. At another point, Jesus asked the disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? Some of the disciples replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And always quick with an answer, Peter says, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Later on, when Jesus was beginning to prepare his disciples for the things to come, this is in Matthew 16, down at verses 21 and 23, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Good old Peter steps in, takes him aside, and begins to chew him out. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus replied, he turned to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me and you do not have the mind, the concerns of God, 
but merely human concerns. Not one of Peter's best moments. Then you remember the Last Supper. Jesus prepares to wash the disciples' feet. Peter, in a protesting tone, speaks up again. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. He didn't want to be served by his master. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Good old Peter. Then Lord, Simon says, Peter says, excuse me, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet, their whole bodies clean. He was always a little quick to react. Then in the garden, just before Jesus is arrested, Peter proceeds to slice the ear off the servant of the high priest. Jesus heals the ear and keeps chaos from breaking out. After that, Jesus predicts Peter's failure. And Peter responds, no, that won't be me, never me. Sure enough, Peter denies Christ three times. Following that event, Peter wept bitterly. And we know Jesus had grace for him because of what happened at the tomb on resurrection morning. We read from Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus of the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as, we, as he told you. Peter's life as a disciple was a bit of a wild ride. Peter was much like us. Some really good days and some not so good days. That brings us to our scripture for today. John 21. We're primarily again looking at verses 15 through 17. But let's read together verses 1 through 17. I think they're going to be up here on the screen. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and, and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net to the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Typical Peter style. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, and they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed into the back of the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This brief little encounter, this little window in the life of the disciples and Jesus tells us a great deal about the character of the God we serve. It reveals that God cares. We saw that earlier as Jesus made the effort to include Peter when he announced his resurrection through the man that was in the tomb. But now Jesus comes to where they're at, out fishing, not catching, not experiencing great things, and he reveals that he cares, excuse me, that he loves and he cares and he acts. It's one thing to love. It's another thing to care and act. He didn't just show up. He showed up with breakfast. He didn't just show up with breakfast. He showed up with breakfast and fishing tips. He didn't just show up with breakfast and fishing tips. He showed up with breakfast made with bread and fishing tips and a welcome. If you think about the situation you got to think, I don't know if I'd have showed up that way. These were his ace team, the 12, that were going to start the new church. And he had just kind of lined them out, commissioned them in, the, in his first appearance to them. And what are they doing? They're out fishing and struggling. He could have come to them in a lot of different ways. But he came in love. He came caring and choosing to act. God knows, and he's patient. He's patient with us. He recognized it takes us time to kind of get things going. He understood his disciples. He knew that they needed help. 
God knows and he's patient. God sees and he's thoughtful. God recognized all that was going on in the life of the disciples. And he chose to be an encouragement. Not just to them, but specifically to Peter. He knew what had happened. Peter had denied him three times. He knew how Peter felt. So he came to Peter, right where Peter lived, in a boat. In addition to God seeing and that he's thoughtful, God forgives. And he goes even a step further by forgiving. He also empowers. He equips us with everything we need to be who he's called us to be. Why does he do that? Because you matter to him. You matter to God. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for Peter. God knew what was going to happen to Peter. He came to Peter in this moment to kind of reinstate Peter and put him back in his position. To say, you failed. I understand. It's okay. I forgive. And not only do I forgive, but I love you, I care about you, I'm patient with you, I'm thoughtful, I want to empower you. God is for you. I couldn't figure out how to put those four words together in a way that would get into your heart and mind any better than just reminding you of that fact. They're powerful words. You get that, that God is for you? I'm so afraid that we, for whatever reason, we have this idea about the character of God that that God is out to catch us, doing stuff wrong. That's what he's all about. And that's so far from what God is like. That's so far out of his character. So part of these verses are here just to remind you that he's for you. There are just a few things, a few obvious things that were missing from this encounter. You could probably list a ton of things. But the things that pop out to me were God does not lose his temper. God does not seek revenge. God wasn't mad at Peter. God wasn't about to chastise Peter, whip him into shape. God does not speak words to hurt. God does not act hastily. He was about to pose some pretty tough questions to Peter. He did an interesting thing. He let him eat first. He didn't ruin his meal. They sat down and had fish and bread on the beach there. And then he posed these questions to Peter following the dinner. He could have charged right in. Gone through the three questions and nailed him right there. But no, he took his time. God is not a bully. He doesn't want to push you around. He wants you on his team. He wants you to choose to follow. He's not going to make you follow. God is not against you. All those things, not a part 
of this encounter. So having been reminded of all this, all these attributes about God, and maybe seeing God in new light this morning, how does that change tomorrow? It's a good question. How does what you've just heard, and maybe nothing new, you've probably read all those scriptures, how does being aware of all that change tomorrow? Well, if you take those truths that we learn about how God operates in the world we live in, it should give us tremendous courage. God is for us. We should be excited. It should give us boldness. Along with that courage comes this boldness to recognize whose we are. Should give us, should fill us with hope. Because we know he's for us. Should also stretch us, challenge us, should motivate us to try new things, should challenge us to be more obedient to his Holy Spirit as he attempts to lead us in through life. If you understand what God is like, and then recognize that he wants you to have that kind of courage, that kind of boldness, that kind of hope that will enable you to go beyond some of the stuff I talked about last week, growing in that endurance, taking steps that may be a little challenging, pushing yourself to grow in character. There's also other areas of our lives that should be impacted with this truth. There's probably many today, but you can imagine where my mind went. We're about to embark on a new journey with new pastoral leadership. We want God's best for our congregation, and we want God's best for our pastor. I've had the blessing of serving as an associate pastor and a youth pastor for three different Nazarene congregations over the course of 26 years. I work with six different senior pastors. As you can imagine, I've heard a lot of stories, and I've experienced some interesting moments. There are a few things in those 26 years that I've never heard. I thought I might share a few with you this morning. I've never heard my senior pastor say, I love going to work on Monday. Monday is awesome. Go to work, turn on the computer. My email is just full of encouraging notes from people in the congregation. It's my favorite day of the week. Never heard that one. You know, the coolest thing about working at the church, everyone's so open to change. They recognize that churches in America aren't growing and we need to explore ways that God might want to work in our future. That's not one I've ever heard. How can we be a part of a church that partners with God to accomplish His vision for our congregation 
and for our pastoral leadership. Well, could it be that some of the truths that we learned about the character of God should change us, should impact us? If we're called to be Christ-like and this character of God is revealed to us through this person of Jesus Christ and his encounter with Peter after Peter had dropped the ball again, failed again, and Jesus comes to him and says, you can do this. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. You get the picture here? Let's allow God's character to show so shape us that we together say, I will not lose my temper. I will not seek revenge. I will not speak words to hurt. Live or online. I will not act hastily. I will not bully others. I will choose to love. I will choose to care and to act. I will choose to be patient. I will choose to be aware and thoughtful. I will choose to forgive and empower. And encourage. I will choose to be for others. That's big stuff. That's God transforming us through His character. Are we going to fail? You bet. The example we're talking about this morning Peter, the master of failure, he had some great days and some terrible days. But he got back up each time, each time growing in his relationship with God and better understanding the character of God. And there on that lake shore was one of those moments that he grew in his understanding of who God was and that God was for him and that God was, yes, the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth. God doesn't call you to be perfect. God calls you to be complete. There's a difference. Complete is saying, I'm totally with you, God. I'm 100% yours. God wants that kind of complete willingness to say yes in every area of our lives. If we're able to do that, we'll be a fun group of people to be with. It'll be fun for the folks that we bump shoulders with during the week. It'll be fun for the pastoral leadership that endeavors to seek God and try to lead us. You can't say that without smiling a little bit. Endeavors to lead us, you know, like herding cats, you know. We are all so different. And that's the great part about us. We are all different, and that's cool. The cool part is we can live together. We can be a body of Christ together, even though we're all different. And we can show to the world that we live in that this is possible. The life God has called us to, he has also empowered us to be able to live.
and that we can do it together. I hope there'll be a day that Paul will look back and he'll say in his mind, maybe out loud, God, you're really in this, aren't you? I can see you at work in the people you've called me to. It might be on day two or it might be a couple of weeks or months in. But I hope that that will bring him encouragement to know that God is for him and we are for him. I've been the director of Family Promise for a decade now, and I have a pretty small staff, but some of the things I've learned over the decade has been how important it is to recognize the talents and gifts that God blesses my staff with and encourage them in those talents and gifts. Not complain about the gifts they don't have. Encourage them in the gifts that they do have. I hope that we can be that for Pastor Paul. We can be that form of encouragement that will motivate him and challenge him to seek after what God wants for us, even if it sounds a little crazy. Because we want to be with him, that is, with God, in everything that we do. A lot of challenges here this morning in this truth. I'm going to ask Katie if she'd come and uh, help us this morning. We're going to pray. But if we're really willing to say yes to not lose my temper, not seek revenge, not speak words of hurt, and say yes to choosing to love, choosing to act, choosing to care. We can't do it on our own. It's God in and through us to make that happen. So I'd like you to take a few moments to just think about where you're at personally. If you can separate from those people that are around you and just get alone with God for a moment, we're going to take a minute to pray. We're going to sing, and then we're going to pray. And reflect a little bit of where you've been. Maybe your history looks a little bit like Peter's. And take a minute to be reminded that God is for you. He wants to help you in each one of those areas. Some may be harder than others, but he wants us to be his people, and he wants to equip us to do that. Katie? Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory. Heaven, you.
We ask that you would fill our lives today. Equip us to be the people you've called us to be. We thank you that you are for us. That you love us and you care about the details of our lives. You want to so shape us into a people that we would become your instruments of love, your instruments of peace, your example of care in the lives of the people around us, that we could truly be your ambassadors in our community. pray that each one here this morning would know deep inside that you love them and you are for them. No matter what's going on this week, days ahead, you're the answer. You're the hope. You're the help. Challenge us and move us. We thank you that you're a God that can be trusted you're a God that we can rely on. As we go out from this place today, excited about new leadership and all the days that you have ahead for us with the Clark family, we pray that you would be close to them. They would sense your presence each day. They would know that we love them and you would empower them to be the leaders you've called them to be. Thank you again for who you are. Thank you for your character. It's in your name that we pray.